from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> Welcome in to the Hotson Audible's podcast. If you're not on video, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack uh, on this Tuesday, beautiful Tuesday in Eugene. Nice, crisp fall, or maybe now winter. I don't know what season it is, but nice, cool, crisp Tuesday getting you ready for this Oregon versus Utah matchup. Senior day, final home game of the season. And it's also the, the first chance that Oregon will get to uh, move past that tough loss last weekend at home to Washington. And um, we'll start right there with the injuries. Um, there's a lot of questions where things are at with Oregon from a health standpoint going into this game. Um, don't know much. We know Bo Nix. Uh, left the game, returned, but he had an injury. We know Alex Forsyth left the game, didn't finish. We know Ryan Walk was seen in a boot. He did not finish that football game. I'm trying to think if there were any other injuries that popped up. But Dan being very cryptic Monday night, guys, um, and I think we kind of expected this, uh, saying that he's not going to talk too much beyond saying that they got – Maybe some better than expected news, um, but he wasn't going to dive into anything injury related. We tried multiple times of d- getting various information, um, and now it's us left to us of kind of wondering what does maybe this small positive news mean? Does it mean that one guy's back? Is it does it mean that these aren't season-ending injuries and they're just out a week? Um, that's going to be one of the biggest questions going around this program going into Saturday. It's just kind of the status and we probably won't know until guys come out on, on Saturday afternoon, or I should say Saturday evening for kickoff. I'll read Dan's quote. And then I I do have to, I think we have to acknowledge another part of this, which keeps it even more cryptic, but here's exactly what Dan said when asked what injuries, I'm not going to share really any update with anyone. We came away dinged in that game. I will say that I feel a lot more positive today going to, uh, after getting to hear some news on where things are at right now. So that was what Dan said Monday night. Tuesday, Wednesday's practices. I know you're listening to this podcast on a Tuesday. We will not have any practice reports. Um, we got out to practice today. We were instructed by Oregon officials and, and, and Dan himself that they didn't want any information on injuries out. So we saw things. But we're not going to talk about what we saw um, to maintain relationships with the program. Uh Someone on our message board was like, why aren't you guys sharing it? Why do you have to listen to the officials? Well, if we don't, we lose access. <laughs> Everybody hates right. us Eric over and there. I won't, yeah. We'll we won't be able be, to go to practice anymore. Ever. Ever. We would never be able to go to practice. And no one would be able to go to practice. So there's, it's, it would be a short – it would be very short-sighted to make that choice. Um, it would also help Utah, which was one of the things that 
has been told to us is that there's no competitive advantage to have this information out there. So uh, we saw things on Tuesday. Uh, I think Matt, Jared and I will probably both go out Wednesday, even though we're not going to write a practice report, just to get an update yeah. further, kind of a better idea of where things are at. But don't expect practice reports from us. If, you, if, you're, if you're used to reading them, that's why they're not there, if you want an explanation. Uh, but that leaves us with the same. It leaves us knowing far less this week, or at least being able to share far less this week than we normally have. Um, usually we're on the show on a Tuesday saying, hey, this is who was at Tuesday's practice. This is what they were doing. This is what we think that means. We don't have that kind of information today, unfortunately. Um, or if we do have that information, we're not gonna, we're not free to share it. So um, I, I hate that we're in that situation. Obviously, I'd prefer not to, but I'm also understanding of three very important parts of this team, including, including the starting quarterback, are dealing with an injury of some of some kind, and you're going into a game against the defending Pac-12 champions, a team that beat you two times last year, and that if you don't beat this year, you lose your own opportunity to make it to the conference championship. So I, I'm understanding of it. It's disappointing. It's too bad. But I think kind of the way we have to look at this is, as Matt said, you're going to have an idea right around kickoff Saturday. We'll be up in the press box at, at Autzen Stadium, usually by about 6.30, 6.45, 7. We've got a pretty good idea of who's available. And we will be sharing that information um, on social media and on duckterritory.com. So be sure to check that out. But from a podcast perspective, you won't be hearing a concrete update this week unless Dan changes protocols tomorrow, says we can watch things and write about it, or comes out and says at his press conference, hey, I've totally changed my mind. I actually don't think there's not a competitive right. advantage. Here's here's how everyone's feeling. Ryan's doing this, and Alex is feeling this. And I'll tell you about Bo. Let me, t let me walk you through exactly how he's doing. Um, barring some sort of bizarre turn of events, uh, you're, you're going to have very little information this week. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add uh, other than if uh, Bizarro World Dan shows up on Wednesday, then maybe everybody in you know the western half of the United States will know that these people are doing X. But other than that, just like what Eric said, um, don't expect a practice report from him or I this week. We are, yeah, like Eric said, we'll, we'll be there tomorrow, but we will not be writing anything about it. Um, and that's our choice. That is the university's choice. That is the proper decision in this instance. This is not um, this another message board post about you know the freedom of the press. It's like no, this is a this is a win-win for both situations for us from our journalistic perspective, and then for the university for their competitive advantage perspective. So don't expect that, and uh, don't expect any more injury talk on this podcast because that's all I have. <laughs> well, I was gonna say one thing, oh. and uh oh, we've in, in previous seasons and previous weeks this year we've seen guys show up to practice throughout the week and not play on Saturday. And we've also seen guys not show up to practice and then get on the football field. So things could also change from where Oregon is, is thinking they're going to be at during the week. And so it, it's literally up in the air for everybody that's, that was dealing with some kind of an injury going up into Utah week. Now, that Washington game also produced a lot of questionable decisions made by Dan Lanning and the Oregon coaching staff. And I wrote a column like, Hey, like he made a couple decisions that opened the door for Oregon to lose that game against Washington. Uh, he came forward and even admitted that, you know, Saturday night that there were some things that when they work, he's praised. And when they don't work, he's ridiculed. He was first to say that. And Monday night, after reviewing the film, he said that 
there were multiple instances in which maybe they would have rather done X instead of doing Y or Z in that football game. Um, I, I don't know if he specifically ever referenced one exact moment beyond just the Bo Nix substitution question. If you were on TV, you certainly saw it. If you were not, if you were at the game and you listened to the podcast, you probably didn't see it unless you went and rewatched the game. But that fourth down call in their own territory late in the fourth quarter, um, Ty Thompson was in the game. It was fourth and one. And Bo Nix was shown on TV trying to get himself back into the game. He was asked for clarification about why Bo didn't go in, why they didn't call a timeout to get him in. And Dan's reasoning was he hadn't yet heard officially from Morgan's medical staff that he was cleared. He heard from Bo. That was very clear. But the medical staff hadn't told him yet that he was good to go. And by the time that they did, the play was already happening. It was too late to call timeout for that. But Dan did admit that in hindsight, they didn't like the look. They probably still should have called the timeout anyways to change the play call. And if you go and you look at the play and you, you press pause, it, it's disastrous. That play had no chance of success unless Ty improvised and threw the ball. Um, and then there were a couple other moments where he never really – specifically said this is why we should have done this differently but he came forward saying that there were multiple times that in hindsight they probably should have done something different because the look wasn't there and they still did it um i think the most notable one is the kickoff the onside kick um dan saturday night said that the the key that they were scouting all week to do it wasn't there and they did it anyways and then monday afternoon washington's coaching staff came out and said that yeah, we knew some things were funky and we kind of adjusted it. And when they've had different numbers out there, we alerted our, our kickoff return unit to be ready for an onside kick. And sure enough, they did it. So that's one instance that we know that, hey, it wasn't there. They did it anyways, and it cost them three points. But this is the growth that you want to see, I think, from Dan Landing and this young staff is they're being aggressive. That's awesome. And they're they're – identifying the mistakes that they're making when being aggressive and then taking the steps to prevent that from happening in future games. To the fourth down thing, here's how I read that as. Bo Nix would have checked out of that. They're yeah. used to having a veteran quarterback who sees that look and goes, hey, this is not going to work, right? And mm -hmm. maybe there was a belief that Ty could identify that. Maybe it was a false belief. And I'm in complete agreement. When you see it, and we, of course we only saw it live, and, we, and Noah slips, and you kind of go like, "Gosh, if he doesn't slip, does he get it?" That play was dead on arrival. When that ball was yep. snapped, that yep. that play was dead. You have your no backup. chance. You've got your backup quarterback in there, who I think, if that's Bo, would look up and say, "Oh boy, th this play is not going to work." They, they've overloaded. They had like everyone in the box. They 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 knew exactly what was coming. They tipped it. I think I saw a couple people on social media. Um, who are a little smarter with me on some of the X and O stuff say that like Washington never showed that look all game until that play because they knew there was no threat of Ty keeping the there football. Was no, yeah, no. That, that they knew exactly where it was going, or of Ty keeping it and passing the football where he would have had. I mean, if he would have kept it and decided to throw the ball and looked up, those receivers could have scored touchdowns potentially. I mean, there was there was yeah. nothing over there. So I think the timeout. To, the timeout probably didn't feel like it needed to be taken. It, it Maybe in an instance here, just because of 
you think your quarterback's going to identify it because you're used to having a quarterback who does identify these things and make changes, which is what makes, which is the difference again of a, of a Bo Nix and a Ty Thompson, one guy who's got so much experience, one guy who lacks some of that experience. Um, so that's something I thought about as well, just to put a little more context maybe to some of the decision making there. Um, but I thought it was again. I, I'm impressed with some of the things, same thing, the same things that Matt is with regards to um, the taking of accountability here. And I've been impressed by every player that's come out and spoke. Like again, we we have to commend Bennett Williams. I know we've been critical of him the last 48, 72 hours. Um, and I think I think rightfully so in terms of the play. But I have to really commend just like what Tyler Shuck did in 2020 coming out after really yeah. tough losses where he played really poorly and saying, Hey, I played like crap. Anthony Brown did the same thing after Stanford. And I commend the athlete, especially these 20, 19 to 21 year olds when they come out and say, Hey, uh, you know, that, that was on me. I messed that up. Bennett's done that. And you, and it, it's a top down thing. And I think you'd love to see it come from the head coach where so there's some great quotes uh, that both Matt and Jared wrote a little bit about in the last 24 hours since Dan's press conference from Dan about just what the 24, what's the fallout of a game like that? And kind of what, what, what do you, how do you handle those situations? And in these instances, I just keep thinking about what Dan has said, which is that growth mindset of you are constantly trying to learn and get better. And Dan didn't hide from the fact that he spent all day Sunday in the office sharing time with recruiting, but also of making some really honest assessments that the hard facts are on film and it's hard to ignore and that, yeah, there are some things that he wishes in retrospect he would have done differently. And that's what you want to hear after a game like this. You don't want to hear a coach point the finger. It makes me think of, and maybe I'm, maybe this is unfair, but I just remember last year. Do you guys remember this weird, after the UCLA game, the weird press conference with Mario, where Mario put all the blame on Joe Moorhead for the passing at the end of the game where, where Anthony Brown was intercepted? And then Moorhead came out. And I asked Moorhead, I was like, Mario just said this. And, and Moorhead says, wait, who said that? I, 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 I was like, the head coach. And he goes, well, the head coach said that, yeah. And I, you could just see on Joe's head being face kind of being like, what the hell? That's, I just got thrown fully under the bus there. Like, shouldn't the head coach be taking some of the accountability? You get none of that from Dan. None of, none, none of that of, of what Mario did in terms of offsetting it and putting it somewhere else. Dan, Dan even said, I'm not a finger pointer. I'm a thumb pointer, points to himself. So I thought that stuff was really impressive. I, I, I think, and I saw it on the comments on social media, on YouTube and on our site of people who watched the press conference, read the transcripts, all came away feeling, I think, like how we felt, which is discouraged by the loss and by some of the reasons you lost, but encouraged by the way Dan's kind of handled himself, comported himself in the, in the aftermath. Yeah, and I think that's exactly how Dan should handle himself. Uh, that's that's what he has preached this entire time. That's what he has preached since his introductory press conference at the University of Oregon and becoming the, his, the head coach here. Um, it's very nice to see it after a, a, a huge loss, even immediately after in the game. On Saturday, he took a lot of blame. And then obviously going back, watching film, he took even more blame. Um, but that's exactly what you want your head coach to do. Um, he is a leader of men. He is not somebody who is who is there to blame other people for some of the fault, you know, if some of the things that happened, even though it might be someone else's fault. He's there to take responsibility and accountability because those are his guys, those are his coaches, those are his players. So I, I, I do think it's great that Dan took accountability and didn't blame it on anybody else, but from how he talks and how he should how being a head coach should be, I think that's exactly what Dan intended. And I think that he did exactly what he should have done there. Um, I think 
I, I don't know how you guys have covered basically um, you know, those topics. I will, I will, you know, the, the fourth down call, I will say once again, I'm fine with it. It's okay. Um, it's just that the, the, the time out there would have made a significant difference. And I, again, like we deliberated post game, Eric and I, um, they had two timeouts, not just one. So there was an opportunity for them to use it if they wanted to. Um, I think it was interesting that Dan put it so it's like, oh, well, we didn't really like the look that we saw. I think he just said that to a little bit of a scapegoat so they didn't throw Ty right under the bus because it's like, well, I didn't know if Bo was really ready. I don't want to take necessarily take out Ty in that circumstance, so I'm just going to say, ah, we didn't like the look, even though I think, you know, yeah, on replay it looks it looks pretty bad. But you also have to remember that, you know, Oregon starting center and right guard are both out. I think Feope Laulu was in on that drive. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson was a center. It's just a whole cluster for Oregon's offensive offensive line and offense in general. That whole drive. But um, should we uh, should we jump into some of the Utah stuff and do a little bit of yeah, let's take a quick deliberation break. on that? Okay. Yeah, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and dive into what Dan said about Utah and our thoughts on this upcoming game as well. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Premier, Scopal Jared Mack. And now it's senior day. It's the tough task. Look, we said at the beginning of the year, this would be the toughest stretch of football Oregon would play. They would play their rival, Washington. We all thought they would win. I mean, even the week of, we thought Oregon would win and they would cover. Um, we obviously did not see that happen. Um, and... Now they have to go and they have to play maybe the most consistent team in the, in the league the last couple of seasons um, and the Pac-12 champs in the Utah Utes, a team that destroyed them two times in a span of three weeks. Um, it was not pretty. We don't ever see Oregon get blown out in games like that, and it happened twice in three weeks. And this is going to be the next challenge. I mean, look, look – even with a healthy Bo Nix or a healthy Alex Forsyth or Ryan Walk, Oregon could lose this game. And a, a season that goes from being potentially in the college football playoff comes crashing down to now they have three losses and 10 wins is not even on, on the table guaranteed. 
this is going to be a tough test. You know, Dan's comments about Utah, very complimentary. He understands the task at hand. I think watching the, the passion come out of him Monday night was pretty cool. And I think he's pretty fired up that this is like just another really big game. Um, it, you know, as DJ Johnson put it uh, post practice Tuesday, like if you're not fired up for this game already, like even before the stuff that happened last year between these two teams, like you have problems, like this should be a really big game for Oregon's players. And then it feels like it is. It has to be. I mean, there's so much on the table here. And, you know, even Casey Rogers, who's new to playing in this conference and, and for this team, wasn't on last year's team, communicated that he, it was very clear to him what this game means, that the players that were on, that he's spoken to on this defense, on this team that played in last year's game, did not, not have a good time, do not think highly of the way that they played last year, that the film doesn't look good. He says he's seen some of the film from last year. He understands why. Oregon got outplayed in those games. But, and we don't even have to relitigate any of that. I mean, we can maybe litigate on this week when we get into our predictions of some of the stuff that happened last year and if those same pitfalls can bite Oregon again. But uh, last year's games were, were, were gross, you know, very disappointing. And I think it's interesting kind of looking at this matchup now and, and, and saying, okay, where has the growth been from this program and how is Utah different? And I think that's kind of the way we're going to look at this week is Utah has a lot of the same cast of characters offensively that you'll recognize defensively some different pieces but from a approach perspective they're still really aggressive landing noted that they blitz on or they bring extra pressure on 28 percent of downs which is really a very high rate um that they do some kind of unorthodox things he also noted that when he was at georgia one of the years the entire georgia defensive staff went and met with coach whittingham in salt lake city i believe to go over some of the things that they're doing defensively so there's a lot of admiration from Dan, who is obviously a defensive-minded coach, somebody who's grown up trying to uh, you know, grow as a defensive coach with what Utah does. And I think, you can, I think that's going to be one of the big challenges here is that even last week in the loss, Oregon had almost 600 yards of offense. They easily could have scored 40 points if not for a play here, play there. Utah might make it difficult to get back to that point. And Utah has also shown that when they do get in a shootout, like against USC, they're very much capable offensively of hanging around. And he, you know, I think Dan was really complimentary, as he should be, of Cameron Rising, who is the veteran quarterback, who threw for 415 yards in the game against USC earlier this year. It's kind of interesting, though. Um, Jared and I were talking about this when we were at Starbucks after the practice today, of like how uh, my memory of those games maybe differs from what the stats tell me because Cameron Rising's stats in those two losses were not that impressive. He had like 174 yards yeah, on average. He had one touchdown, two interceptions. He had some pretty good rushing stats one of the games, but it's not like it blows you away. I'm not diminishing him at all. Um, but I'm just saying like, when, I think, when I think about that game, I, those games, I just think, oh, man, like he was must have been firing on all cylinders, and he really wasn't. And that, that, that could even be a, a, a negative thing where you say Utah was able to, to mash them pretty good. And I understand part of it was they were able to run the ball really effectively in Oregon. Made so many mistakes. You didn't have to get, you know, there were special teams mistakes. There were offensive mistakes. There were turnovers. Um, so Utah didn't necessarily have to amass a ton of yards. But, like, if Cam Rising is even put in a spot where, let's say, Oregon has more success offensively this time around, which is which is hard not to. They gained <laughs> it's seven points in one game and ten in the other. 
But let's say they make it more yeah. competitive and they, and they challenge Rising to make plays. Like, he's a, somebody who is very much capable of, of making those plays. He's shown it in big moments. And he hasn't necessarily even shown it and needed to show it in this rivalry. So I, I think it's going to be a really interesting game when we get a little further into it. I think the other thing that will be interesting is um, the things that Washington does out of its offense are not the same things you should expect Utah to do. They're they can so, try to yeah, make so different. They can try to mimic some of it if they want to play copycat, as Dan will tell you. But the kind of the base uh, personality of this Utah offense is is very far is very much different than what Washington does. So some of the things that we saw Washington absolutely embarrass Oregon doing aren't things that Utah does week to week or almost kind of on a natural basis. So you could possibly talk yourself into in this matchup of. Is Utah going to be able to do or have as much success as Washington did in this matchup? Um, or will they seek out other areas where they usually have a lot of success, i.e. throwing to it the tight ends and, and powering it up the middle with its run game with a really strong offensive line? And if they, depending upon what they do, like, could that actually, like, how much of that plays into Oregon's strengths defensively, which in theory should be defending those types of plays? So, um, trying to give you a little bit more of a glass half full trying to do it this week. People in the comments didn't like my approach uh, on Monday's podcast, trying to give a glass half full tie perspective. But if you want to talk Oregon's defense, which was really critical of late, Utah's offense might be like kind of not the worst matchup for them in terms of at least how they typically approach things. Yeah. Like, like I mentioned, there's so much different than how Washington runs their offense. Washington, like I, like I said all last week, is really familiar to like uh, just an all-out aerial attack. It's a, it's like a run and shoot almost type of type of offense, a Mike Leach style where they're gonna go five wide most of the time. And Utah could go five wide, but that's just not how they run their offense. That's not how, and that's not how Cameron Rising is built. Um, that's not how Tavian Thomas is effectively used on their offense, or how their offensive line is again effectively used. They'll be. 12, 13, 14 personnel, they're going to run the ball. As DJ Johnson and Dan Lanning said, they're going to try to run the ball down your throat. It's going to be – I think it's going to be similar to how – sometimes how Oregon runs their offense where they go big packages, they go 12 or 13 personnel. They'll, they'll take the opportunities to, to run the ball down your throat. And But that's kind of how Utah runs their offense all the time. And Dan mentioned it in his in his Monday press conference. Is like they're going to run the ball until they can't. And once you take too uh, you know, advantageous of a jump and try to stop the run game, they're going to hit you deep. And that's similar to what Oregon does. They'll run the ball until you got until the opposing team tries to stop the run. Then they'll hit somebody deep because their linebackers bite or their safeties bite. Um, it's a good offense. It's uh, and it's one of the better offenses in the Pac-12. They score nearly forty points a night. They're capable of getting into shootouts. Uh, I know it is against USC, like Eric mentioned, and USC's defense isn't the greatest. But, you know, and when it gets to a shootout, Oregon probably isn't the greatest either. I think they're they're right there with USC in terms of allowing yards through the air. It's not necessarily, a, you know, two titans of the world going at each other in, in, in those defensive perspectives. But it's, it's going to be a fun one. I think – you know, we looked at rising stats in the last couple of times these two teams has faced, or the last two times, excuse me, and they haven't been great, but, you know, they haven't needed to be great, obviously. You know, those are two blowout wins, and Oregon just eventually 
made, excuse me, made a lot of mistakes. Obviously, the special teams issues of Britton Covey and the punt return there at the end of the first half of the first game, um, a pick six in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, limiting mistakes is going to be another you know key scenario. There, you know, Dan talked about a couple of the mistakes that they made against Washington, where there was the onside kick, uh, the fumble, the red zone. Um, those are the type of the things that that can't happen in this game, especially against the number ten team in the country. Um, you know, Oregon is is just a three point favorite in this game. Um, the line opened at six; it ended up dropping to three. Um, this is, you know, like like we like Matt. I think opened the segment with you know, there's no guarantee that this is a ten win season. This could very quickly drop to a nine and three or an eight and four type of season. Um, and you know, Oregon has to come out guns a blazing. You know, they have to play like their hair is on fire because this is what, you know, this is the last kind of opportunity to make a, a, a run here to get to that Pac-12 championship game and to get themselves in a better position and potentially get into one of those New Year's Six Bowls. So I'm excited for this game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. These are two teams who are very talented and um, very well coached. And, you know, one coach is – you know, Whittington, 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 Whittingham, excuse me, is on his way out. Dan's on his way in. Um, this is going to, I think it's going to be a really fun matchup in Odson on, on Saturday. Yeah, it's a top 15 matchup uh, going into this one. And, and it's going to be an exciting one, uh, a close game. I would be surprised if this is a blowout either direction, and unless maybe we don't have a full complement of players for Oregon. Um, if if that's the case, then yeah, it, it gets scary for Oregon. But there's a lot of storylines to watch. It's gonna we're gonna play it out here on the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. We're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, we'll be back later this week with uh, Steve Bartle from Ute Zone. He'll come on and uh, give us a preview of this game, and then we'll make our our predictions later on Friday. And then next time you'll hear from us after that is a post game very early Sunday morning, seven 30 kickoff. Remember that on ESPN until then you've been listening to the odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace.